the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a great question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. It's Friday, which means when we uh, get to the uh, 11 o'clock hour, we always like to turn our attention uh, when possible, or turn the spotlight, if you will, on the world of Hollywood and show business, sometimes music. Um, but uh, always the arts, and we're going to do just that today. And uh, my guests are the co-authors of a uh, new book called Pitch Like Hollywood, What You Can Learn from the High Stakes Film Industry by Peter uh, Desberg, I think is how you pronounce it, uh, from California State University, and Jeffrey Davis from Loyola in Los Angeles, and both are joining me by phone. Um, Peter, Jeffrey, welcome to the show, and Peter, I hope I pronounced your name right. You pronounced it expertly. Oh, good, because I'm I'm terrible with names. (laughs) Yeah, excellent job. And, and Jeffrey, thank you as well. Good morning, and thank you for having us. Um, you know, I'm, I'm reminded when I think about your book, it's something that, um, uh, oh, uh, comedian Lily Tomlin said once. She said, there's a reason they call it show business. <laughs> and, and I think that... I, I, I think that's kind of what you're getting at in your book and, and what people can learn. What What is different about pitching in Hollywood than, you know, say, uh, in the music business in Nashville or really even in the auto industry or any other business that involve uh, making pitches to various uh, clients and or customers? How is it different in Hollywood? Well, um, Hollywood has has come up with sort of a uh, a formula of pitching where they say, yes, data is really nice. It's good to get information, but don't leave out the emotion. Um, Use story because that's the way people communicate. Get them curious about what you're talking about so that instead of people looking at their watches saying, how much longer do I have to enjoy this? They're saying, what's going to happen next? I can't wait to find out. I I remember um, being in a meeting once where somebody uh, 
presented a packet of material. I don't know, it was 35 typed pages or something, this big presentation. <laughs> and and the guy uh, picked up his packet, and, and he looked up and, and, you know, he thumbed through the pages for, I don't know, maybe 10 seconds and said, will this work? <laughs> <laughs> And, and 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 well, that's is that is that part of the pitch is is getting somebody to believe in you and not the presentation. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, one of one of the things that we stress in the in the book, we took a lot of information from the literature on the psychology of persuasion, and. Again, if you don't think that I'm credible, if you don't think that I'm sincere, if you don't think that I'm talented, why do you want to listen to me? Why would you want to ever be in business with me? So that you put your, your finger on the heart of it. Yeah. And one, one of the things that we talk about is the, throughout the book is that pitching is very, very different than selling. And that we like to think that a good pitch is a conversation. You don't talk at somebody, but you talk with them. And you're constantly trying to find out what is it that they're doing and how is it that what we're doing can match and help what your goals are. Is, is pitching any different if it's for money or on behalf of people? Uh, I don't... I don't Sorry, Peter. Go ahead. No, please. Yeah, I yeah. Jump in, Jeff. Say that uh, I think no, I I don't believe so in my experience because I've worked for nonprofits and um, uh, you know, and I've because I was sort of born into show business. I'm third generation, so I really don't think so. But I think Peter's point is people don't want to be talked at. People want to, and they want to know why you. And why now? That's the heart of pitching. So it's great. You have to have a story to tell. But I think what I try to tell my students is you also have to uh, tell a story about yourself. (laughs) Spoken like a true screenwriter. (laughs) (laughs) That's right, because they want to know. I mean, in, in any industry, there's a lot of money on the table, and they want to know, uh, and particularly now, where you know, in show business, where there are so many markets, you know, when I was coming up, there were basically a few syndicators, and there were the networks, and 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 you know, there was there was home box office, and now, wow, you know, there's just more every day, um, and so they want to know why you, um, why are they going to put their money in you and their ideas in you and their faith in you, and I think. That, you know what? If you look at their side of it, that's fair. Um, don't be resentful. In any business, don't come in with an attitude. We we have a lot of stories in the book about that, about people who came in and had an attitude that they were doing you a favor. I, I think that's one thing we, we can all learn and, and keep reminding ourselves. Nobody owes you anything. You know, is, it, uh, is it different now... Uh, pitching projects and and the different aspects of what goes in because a lot of pe- people don't realize just how many different things 
are rolled into a, a film or television project in Hollywood. Um, is, it, is it different now with the explosion of, of streaming options in, in different places where projects can be um, uh, viewed by people and and um, and also with the the proliferation of independent projects to feed into those outlets. I think the principles are all the same. Um, I, I don't think uh, the the process has changed. Um, you would think that it would be easier to, to sell something because there's so many markets, but it's the same principle. You know, whether you have ten markets or 5,000 markets like we seem to have now. <laughs> That's principles, true. Principles are the same, and, they're the, and, they're, and, and what we try to point out in the book is they're the same in the auto industry. They're the same in advertising, which is more closely related, I guess, you know, to show business. Um, you have to demonstrate, and I, I reiterate this because I think it's one of the, Peter Peter started this, and, uh, and I think absolutely right, is you have to demonstrate why you're the right person or persons to do this, and you have to care. You know, I unfortunately have sat on the other side of the desk a few times, and when you can tell immediately when someone is just performing and doesn't care. And um, maybe the only difference now is they love source, you know, they love source material. So if it comes from another... If, it, if it's a book, you know, you have a really good chance of getting something on. They love, they've always loved out here in California. If it's been proven successful in in um, in another area, like novel, they're, they feel safer. You know, there's no real logic to that, but that's always I, been the case. I, I don't Starting know. Starting a job with the wind, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I if, you, if you know who David Baldacci is, but... Um, yeah, sure. He, I know who that is. He yeah. his his first successful novel became a movie, Absolute Power, with um, Clint Eastwood and E. G. Marshall and Gene Hackman, Ed Harris. I mean, just just an all star cast. It's one of my favorite movies. And I asked him. I said, "When your first book gets picked up and made into a movie like that, I said people return your calls now, don't they?" <laughs> and he laughed and said oh yeah yeah they do and of course he's had many many bestsellers yeah. since then but um it, it's uh it, it 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 really is about that that source material if it was successful in one iteration it stands a better chance in another, or at least that's that's what I hear you saying. Yeah, well, it reduces it reduces the risk once you've shown success in, in one field. And you know, one of the interesting differences is that when you go in to pitch now in the entertainment industry, um, you're more likely to also see an accountant as one of the people you're pitching to, which didn't used to happen that business folks are in there right from the very beginning. 
Um, do you, um, I, I, I must apologize to both of you, Jeffrey and, and Peter. I, I haven't had a chance to read the book yet. Um, Neither have we, Tom. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll let you know if it's, if it's worth it. Um, but I, I, I want to ask, do you have some examples of really great pitches? I, I would love to have seen the pitch for the TV show Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> I'll tell you what that is. I mean, 20 years <laughs> after <laughs> World War II. Right. <laughs> and they're pitching a concentration camp sitcom. Right. <laughs> One of the things that we did was we, we took a... Uh, a very, very well-known movie show, Broadway, uh, and we broke it down and basically said, this wasn't Neil Simon's pitch, but if he had, this is what it would have looked like. And we go through it piece by piece and just tear the whole thing apart and get to it. So, yeah, we, we actually did that. So your instincts are good. Peter, tell the story about the advertising company and um, and oh election. yeah, you know we, we we keep stressing this idea about a pitch being a conversation, and one of the things that we did in the book is we interviewed a lot of really successful people who were great at pitching and and got stories from them, and one of our favorites. Um, a, a woman who was the president and CEO of, a, uh, of an advertising agency told us a story that when she was first starting out, she went out with her art director and they pitched a company and the, the director said, okay, we have six different ideas for campaigns. What do you think? And they told him all. And the guy answered, I hate every one of them. <laughs> so she's thinking, uh-oh, we are dead in the water. This guy was so clever that he looked at the fellow, took a deep breath and smiled and said, which one do you hate the least? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> and that became a conversation where he was able to find out what is it that this company is looking for. And they said, oh, we can do that. Yeah, And they ended up making the, uh, the deal. That's funny. And the first thing that went through my mind, Peter, was, uh, wait a minute, you haven't seen our seventh. <laughs> hey, we know it's funny because one of, one of the people we interviewed had a great saying. He said, um, you don't start selling until you hear no. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And and I've heard salespeople say that it's it's collecting the no's that gets them closer to the yeah. yeses. Yeah. And, well, and absolutely. I, I have to um, actually uh, put a comma here and take a short break. Can you guys stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Absolutely. All right. My guests are uh, Peter Desberg and Jeffrey Davis, the authors of Pitch Like Hollywood, What You Can Learn from the High Stakes 
film industry. And we're going to let our broadcast partners at WFOV 92.1 LPFM in Flint squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. We'll be right back. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. 
Well, at least they call. No, I get it, you're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation about a new book, Pitch Like Hollywood, What You Can Learn from the High Stakes Film Industry by Peter Desberg and Jeffrey Davis, who both joined me by phone. Peter, Jeffrey, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. No, no, no. But, you know, what they were saying about your program is, is spot on. You have a great intuitive knack for asking the right questions. And um, there were two other things about the book that, that may interest you, that we spend a lot of time talking about, you know, you can come up with the greatest pitch, design a wonderful idea, and then walk in and get so scared you can't give it. So we talk a lot in the book about overcoming or managing stage fright. And the other thing we spent a lot of time talking about is the psychology of persuasion. And this is a fascinating area because one of the things we discover in reading the the scientific literature on persuasion is that almost all of it occurs below the radar, that people don't realize that they're persuaded. Uh, I'll give you a, a great example of one of my studies. A, they took two groups of college students, and they said, here's a bunch of kids, combine them to make them into students. What they did with one group, they used words Hey, like, Peter, uh, Peter, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you're breaking up a little bit. Could you, could you say that, that again? Uh, we didn't get the question. Um, sure. Um, see what I can my end. Um, is that clearer now? I think so. Hello? Yep, I, I can hear you. We can hear you, Peter. Is, is my voice coming through clearly now? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. So they gave these two groups of college students a group of words to make sentences out of. Okay. And one of the groups used words like wrinkled, tired, gray. They took the other group and said things like uh, yellow, running. So one group of words had to do with being old, and one had to do with being young. They said, make them into sentences. Then they said, okay, the next part of the study is down at the end of this long corridor in the office over to the left. But what they didn't realize was the real study was they timed these students to see how long it would take them to walk down the corridor. And the groups that were making sentences out of words that had to do with youth walked much faster than the ones that had to do with old age. And when they interviewed them later, they had no idea that had anything to do with it or that they were walking differently. And yet those words activated something in their brains to make them behave totally differently. And so one of the things that's fascinating is that all of this stuff happens below the level of awareness. You know, I'm curious about when you talk about Hollywood pitches, 
who's mm-hmm. doing the pitching? Because I, I always, I have the impression that, that almost everybody has representation. Well, yes. It's, it's interesting. Um, when I was starting, uh, well, first of all, let me ask, let me answer the first question. Is, is um, it could be anybody from an executive to a producer to a writer to a showrunner, um, uh, it could be almost anybody, but you tend not to go in alone, especially writers these days should probably not be going in by themselves unless they're Aaron Sorkin. You know, I mean, <laughs> if you're Aaron Sorkin, you probably don't have to do a lot of pitching anymore. Well, I was going to uh, say, can't he pretty much phone it in? Uh <laughs> yeah, the great thing about Aaron, the great thing about Aaron is that he doesn't phone anything, and that's why he's so great. Well, really that's has, that's true. Uh, no, I know what you're saying, but but the truth is, is that um, he 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 still has to have an executive producer. He has to have someone to do the other jobs that he doesn't want to do or can't or doesn't feel qualified to do. But um, but. You know, it's no matter who you are, you're going in as a group now. Peter was talking about earlier about who'll be in the room, and um, it's a long process too. In the real world, in any industry, it isn't one meeting. Um, you know, when I started, it was all freelance writing in television, and there's almost no freelance writing anymore. It's all staff, and. Um, so, so that also has changed the game. So you would go in and you would have a bunch of stories and you would pitch them and they, they would say, mostly they would say no, occasionally they would say yes, and then you would sit there and you would develop it. That's gone now on television. Movies are a completely different thing and they can take forever to happen. Television, there's, you know, obviously it's, it's like radio. There's a time limit. Um, you have to get it done. I hope that answers. The, I hope that, yeah, I Jeffrey. Hope that. Um, there's a couple things that I that I want to acknowledge. I um, I didn't want to do very long introductions because I wanted to spend more time talking with you and Peter. But um, I, but I did notice in your credits that you were a writer for Night Court and Remington Steel, which were two of my favorite shows, and I just wanted to get that little bit of fandom in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I understand they're rebooting Night Court, which I God help us. You know, I mean, I can't leave anything alone anymore. You know. Um, you know, that, I, I, I get that same reaction. You do. You hear the same thing, right? I, I, well, I know. I, I feel the same reaction. Um, sure. It took me forever to watch the Mission Impossible movies. Oh, yeah. And they have, you know, uh, good or bad, they have nothing to do with the series. The series was... Uh, Steve Geller, I think, and that was that was uh, who unfortunately we lost. He was very young when he died. But the movies have nothing, you know. The name, I think, is the, you know, and the characters' names. That's about it. But um, that was a great show, and uh, and I don't know it could be done today, you know. Um, but uh, um, yeah, Night Court. I think of all my experiences in in TV that they were just so kind that the the 
the the, the everybody on that show just wanted to make a great show, and they never thought it was going to be a hit because it was kind of like um, um, uh, the creator Reinhold Wiggy, who is also sadly gone. He wanted to make. He was very influenced by the Marx Brothers, and it is rather like a you know you're watching very influenced by um, by Groucho and his brothers. Um, the humor, I think, if if you remember it, that it was kind of broad and and sweet and wacky, and uh, so I loved that. Well, That's and probably- and there was and there was a similar cadence, right? Exactly. Um, so yeah, that, that, well, thank you for that. I, um, sometimes forget that, uh, I forget to go, I don't want to go that far back, but, uh, yeah. And, um, well, I, I, I wanted to say that just, you know, to, to give credit where credit is due and, and to acknowledge that. But, but I also, if we can put it on but but I wanted to but I also wanted to set up what's different about writing now versus writing then. Uh, you started to say that uh, there are more like like writing staffs now as opposed to freelancers. Um, I think what we learned um, from a previous book that we did um, called Now That's Funny. Um, is that there are, you know, staffs of anywhere from six to 12 people. There's a showrunner, um, and um, they set the tone. They, you know, now what's really different, Tom, is that is that the writer-producer is running television. It's very different from movies. The writer does not have the power in movies. Um, and it's smaller, it's more intimate, and the voice of the show, I guess, is more assured because you have, because you have someone who is at the, at the helm, um, and the other writers are are copying that voice. They're trying to get that voice, the creator. But I think what's sadly missing is there would be more jobs on some of these shows. Um, because there are smaller staffs, but I think the quality's probably improved. So that's my story, and I'm going to stick with it. Well, I don't know. Give me Rob and Buddy and Sally every time. <laughs> <laughs> and and thank you for getting that reference. <laughs> you know, actually, Carl Reiner was on my show. Um, a couple oh, of years. Oh, oh wow! It oh okay. it was it was tremendous fun, and and he schooled me a little bit because I well you'll appreciate this, so I'll go ahead and tell the story. I asked him if people remembered him more as Alan Brady or as Rob Reiner's dad, and he said, "Oh, people remember me from the Ocean movies." <laughs> <laughs> And I was so embarrassed because he just he was hipper than I was. Yeah, you know he was he was hip, hipper than most people. I <laughs> but he but he said the most interesting thing. You know the the, the whole um, Dick Van Dyke show 
was kind of a, a reboot of a, a pilot that he had done featuring himself in the Dick Van Dyke right. character, and it was exactly. all about his life. And then at after the show's run, they knew when they were going to end the show. So they got to do a final show, and in the final show... Um, I think it was Sheldon Leonard. Sheldon and, and uh, Marlo Thomas's father, right? Danny Thomas. They had a they had the, a company that that owned that show. Right. right. But what they yeah. did was for a final episode, Sheldon Leonard approaches Dick Van Dyke about doing a show about his life. Right. So that it came full circle. Right. <laughs> and Carl was one of the first showrunners in television history, you know, um, really, because Dick Van Dyke, um, Peter and I talk about this all the time, you know, these kinds, these guys were pioneers of television. Um, there really was, there really was, I mean, he had been on show shows, Carl Reiner, both as a writer and an actor, but, um, he, he was amazing, and, and one of the people in our book, um, Nicole Fox, is now partnered with Carl Ryder's nephew, who's also a producer, and um, we got to interview her and talk about the old days, and so it's, it's pretty amazing, the history of the industry. You seem to have a really deep knowledge of it. Well, I, I, I might be a little up on things because I've been, uh, I, I've really been kind of caught up in the Betty White centennial. Oh! <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I in fact, I, I think I wrote a comment on, uh, Facebook or something that uh, to the effect that television will go on, but the first for the first time in its history, it will do so without Betty White. Yeah, exactly. And Nobody career like that. <laughs> oh, I know. I've been watching some of the old episodes of Life with Elizabeth, and God, how fun and clever and witty they were, and and seemingly spontaneous, but but we all know they weren't. Um, yeah, but that gets back to the writing today, which seems to be a little harsher. Cindy Williams said the mirth is gone. Mm. Well, um, Peter, we've, we've, we've interviewed our share of, of mirthless writers. Um, <laughs> What you, what, Were they writing to, comedy? I, I hate to even ask. Well, Peter <laughs> be a very, uh, you know, he's modest about it, but he's very funny. And um, so I'd love, to, I'd love to hear your take about whether the mirth is gone uh, in, in show business now, Peter. I, I um, be there. Yeah, yeah, I'm... <laughs> I'm still here. I'm being schooled, so I'm enjoying it. Um, um, I'm just but, wondering. You know, yeah, go on, Peter. No, it's just uh, it's it's fascinating to see what's happened to comedy now because of the new markets. 
that the sorts of things that you can do on cable and, uh, and streaming are so different than network comedies. And it's a whole new world of comedy now. You can get into areas you could never get into before. Now, I want to get back to our original topic, which is, which is pitches. Um, how important is it for, for pitches to be good-humored, or is it just about generating some warmth between the pitcher and the pitchy? Well, again, one of the things that Jeffrey and I talk about all the time is that every pitch is really two pitches. You're pitching your project and you're pitching yourself. And what you, what you always have as a goal is to have the people walk away saying, that's a person I'd like to be in business with. So you're always looking at how are they looking at me? And that, again, goes back to the idea of making it a conversation. But, you know, you, you asked a really good question before about who goes into pitch. Yeah. And when uh, our friend Peter Heller, who is a very successful producer, said, um, I like my writers to do most of the pitching, but I go in there during the pitch to monitor the room. Because a writer sometimes gets so infatuated with the the characters that they came up with and the interesting plot twist that they lose the big picture and he's able to go in there and get it back on track also the way you start a pitch is very important and you know it's like if you go to watch a uh, um, a tv uh, show that's uh, that's being evaluated or you just you know in the sit in the studio audience of any uh, any show somebody comes out to warm up your audience first and quite often in a pitch, you'll bring in an actor or a comedian or somebody to get the room in the right kind of mood before you actually start your pitch. You know, I, that's, that's fascinating because I would never think of having an opening act for a pitch. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's very common. You know, one, <laughs> one of our... Uh, one of our friends, a producer who we interviewed, said he was doing a pitch um, for a, a martial arts series, and he brought a martial artist in with him, and when things in the room seemed to be kind of grinding to a halt, the fellow got down on the floor and started doing push-ups while he was doing his pitch and got everybody all excited in the room. Oh, that's funny. So, yeah, people do all kinds of things to, to keep the energy in the room. I, I remember a, uh, a, a civics teacher I had in middle school who was trying to teach us about how difficult it is to get accurate information from testimony in a courtroom. And while he was giving his lecture, uh, a student from another class came in and threw some books down and cussed a couple times at him, and they exchanged a few words, and then she bolted out the door, slamming it behind her. And he went over and raised up one of the maps, and there were some questions on the board. What was she wearing? What did she say? And we had just watched it, and there were 30 different answers. Wow. <laughs> that kind of demonstration is um can be really important in a pitch can it 
Yeah. I I think one of the things that Peter, of the many, many things that he brings to the book is those kinds of demonstrations, those kinds of studies. And uh, we, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased to have been associated with that being someone who was not schooled in, um, in studies and research. um, I've, I've, I got to learn so much working on this book about how much persuasion comes into it, how how you can, I mean, I, I have a lot of friends who are going, I can't pitch because I'm frightened. And one of the things that Peter brought to the book that because he's an expert in, in stage fright, not, not how to give it, you know, not how to get it. But, um, <laughs> how to get it. Um, that's his joke. I stole it. Um, uh, but, but, and you told uh, it better. <laughs> um, but, you know, our belief is that everybody can pitch if they learn to, if, if they learn the tricks and the devices to, to stave off their fear and to, and, and to understand it. And we haven't, seen, the, the interesting thing, and I give Peter full credit for this, is those two things, persuasion and and how to manage stage fright are not in the other books we've seen on pitching. I think they're very important uh, to be included in this book. Um, and they they go across industries. That's the thing I think is really important. We're all going to fear. We're all going to have fear at something. It's managing it. And I've learned so much over the years. We've done presentations together, and I've learned techniques that I probably would have never learned if I hadn't met Peter. And it's just too bad that friendship is over now. And on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope I didn't do anything to put a wedge between no, no, the two no. of you. Um, oh no, no, no! The attorneys <laughs> had already decided everything. Already been in court, yeah. Um, I I can't believe how fast the time has gone, and I feel like I I I love Hollywood and uh, and the history of show business, um, as as I'm sure you can tell, and the time has just flown by. And I want to make sure and encourage people. The book is called Pitch Like Hollywood: What You Can Learn from the High Stakes Film Industry. And there is a lot. There's a reason they call it show business, and uh, there's a lot to be learned that that would fit in all kinds of business practices um, from this uh, from this book by Peter Desberg and Jeffrey Davis, my guests today. Peter, Jeffrey, thank you so much for spending this time with me and the listeners this morning. Well, thank, thank you, so Tom. You made it very easy for us. Um, is there a uh, a website for the book for people who want to find out a little yes, bit more? Yes, there is. DesbergDavis.com. Excellent. Right. Is that a good place made to it easy. Is that a good place to best, find out about your work past, present, and future? Yes. Yes. And the best thing is there's pictures of both of us. Yes. Well, great. I put a picture of the two of you up on my Facebook page. Pre-order it on Amazon. So I'm going to break my own rule and <laughs> let everybody know that. The book comes out, I think, at the end of February, right, Peter? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm looking forward to it, and I so appreciate you taking the time to give us a little preview of the book today. You're an excellent host. Our pleasure. All right. <laughs> Keep up the good work, guys. 
Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye. Again, uh, that was uh, Peter Desberg, Professor Emeritus at California State University, and um, Jeffrey Davis, Professor of Screenwriting at Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with more right after this. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now, and now too, and even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell, East Village Magazine, Flint Institute of Music, Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg, Flint Community School, MTA Flint, Flint Comics and Entertainment, Hamity Complete Food Center, The Flint River Watershed Coalition, WH Wisecarver, The Genesee County Road Commission, Long Museum Auto Fair, Thomas Appliance, The Genesee Health Plan, Quiplet Technology, Mark Community College, it's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Ellen Sherman, Cleveland housewife and mother. Hi, I'm a nuclear physicist and commissioner of consumer affairs. In my spare time, I do needlepoint, read, sculpt, take writing lessons, and brush up on my knowledge of current events. Thursday's my
my day at the daycare center, and then there's my work with the dip. But I still have time left over to do all my own baking and practice my backhand, even though I'm on call 24 hours a day as a legal aid. How does Ellen Sherman do it all? She's smart. She takes speed, the tiny blue diet pill you don't have to be overweight to need. And then I collect these paper bags, and I have them right here, all folded and everything. In case anyone needs a paper bag, I have Yes, one. speed. Because I fold them neatly, you know. I don't fold them just any old way. I Why not ask your family doctor for a prescription today? And when that runs out, you can ask your neighbor's doctor, and your mother's doctor, and your college roommate's doctor, and your best friend from high school's doctor. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is your Hollywood reporter, Don Hinckley, at the premiere of what is probably the most talked about motion picture of all time, the story of the great love between the handsome Roman general and the Egyptian queen. We're hoping to interview the beautiful star of this epic. And, oh, I, I, I think we're in luck. Yes, yes, we are in luck. Here comes that great beauty now. Excuse me, would you like to say hello to your millions of fans? My name, Jose Iman. <laughs> hello to your millions of fans. <laughs> of course, uh, everyone here knows the name of your picture, but I'm sure you'd like to mention it again. The name of my picture is Digit Goes Egyptian. <laughs> I always thought the uh, title of the picture was Cleopatra Oh, no, no, no Cleopatra is the name of our coming attraction Coming attraction? That's right Well, that picture cost $40 million That's nothing I was cost $100,000 Well, that's not so much For a ticket? <laughs> you, do you mean that you're charging $100,000 for one ticket? Why, I couldn't afford to see that picture Would you like a free pass? <laughs> yes, I would That'll be $10,000. How much did the picture actually cost to make? Including lunches. Why, why should lunches be so expensive? Do you know what it costs to smuggle corned beef into Egypt? I guess costumes uh, must have cost you a fortune. Oh, costumes, my goodness. They... Costumes alone cost $50 million. I imagine uh, Cleopatra's costume was the most expensive. No, there we saved money. <laughs> Eight yards of saran wrap and some beads was all, all didn't, we needed for that. Didn't they uh, try to save money at all? Yes, we tried to save money at all. For example, one time we had this thing, you know, that was going on in a beautiful alabaster hall. And we had 30,000 dancing girls running around. And we had 20,000 musician people playing golden harps. And we had 40,000 slave girls pouring wine. Well, how did that save money? We used paper cups. <laughs> uh, that must have been the famous orgy scene? No, that was the famous coffee break. <laughs> 
That's fantastic. Yeah, we swung on a set. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I gotta tell you one thing, that the picture has a surprised ending, so nobody will be seated during the last five hours. <laughs> Well, it's obviously a very long movie, but uh, yes. do you plan to have intermissions? Yes, one intermission. Wednesday. <laughs> you guys can take Wednesday off. You mean the show lasts a whole week? Yes, if you see the cartoon. Cartoon? Yes, Ben-Hur. Mickey Mouse plays Ben and Minnie plays her. Exactly how long have you been uh, working on this picture? Well, quite a while, because we had a delay one time. We had a lay off on account of the noise. What noise? World War II. <laughs> we had those tiger tanks going there. We were straight. It was really terrible. And then it was these guys with the pointed helmets. Jose. <laughs> Maybe it was World War I. <laughs> Sir, let's talk about your co-star's salary. I understand it's an astronomical figure. She certainly has. <laughs> I, you I, noticed that. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about I'm her salary. I'm glad to see her observe. Oh, your, her salary. Yes. Yes, yes. Well, you talk about what you want to talk about, and I'll talk about what I want. I understand that she makes $8,000 a day. Now, that's more than most people isn't make in a some, year. Isn't that something? $8,000 a day. Yeah. It's a lot of money. Sure. But is she really happy? Boy, is she happy. <laughs> You never heard such giggling in your life. It comes from that girl on payday, and you can hear it all the way across the street. But, Jose, yes. money doesn't buy happiness. No, but for $8,000 a day, you could rent it. Now that you've mentioned your beautiful co-star, I wonder if you'd answer the question the whole world is asking. I would be delighted to, as long as they don't ask it at once. <laughs> Let them ask you one at a time. Let's start with India, if you like. Right. There's a lot of people over there. The question ask. is... Yes? Are you going to marry your co-star? I would have to say it this time, and you can quote me on this, and I don't care if you quote me word for word and even verbatim. <laughs> I will marry the woman I love. You will? I always do. <laughs> I don't know what I could tell you about how much I love her. I would climb the top of the highest mountain. I would crawl on my little belly across all of the desert and the hot desert, and I would go across the most ragging rivers for her. When will you see her next? Tonight, if it doesn't rain. <laughs> Listen, you know, I got my good toga on. I don't want to spoil it. Jose, what would you say was your biggest problem in the picture? I would say my biggest problem in the picture was the asp. The uh, asp? Yes. You mean the snake? Yes, the snake asp, yes. <laughs> you see, that is snake. How to come around and hug Cleopatra real tight and coil around her and come up and bite her right on the neck, you see? And it was my job to teach that asp how to do that. So, so, so what's wrong with that? He got it right the first time. I told him nobody likes a smart asp.
This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. I remember the night mom was pounding on her drums. She called me to her side. She said, son, you're growing up. Pretty soon you're gonna drive. And daddy heard the commotion and came, came in tap dancing, playing his six string. And they both looked at me and they said, son, before you get behind the wheel of a car, you listen to me. If you're texting while you steer, don't drive. If you've been drinking beer, don't drive. If you're talking on the phone, don't drive. If your tires are bald and it's starting to snow, don't drive. If your foot can't reach the pedal, don't drive. If you're wearing no apparel, don't drive. If you took an illegal prescription, don't drive. If no one understands your diction, don't drive. Don't speed, don't read, don't breathe, don't tweet, don't shave, don't rave, don't wave, don't eat, and don't put no makeup on or shave. You know you're not supposed to do that. If you gotta do something you're not supposed to do, you can go ahead and step on my blue suede shoes. Ah, go ahead and scuff them up. If you're driving with your knees, don't drive. If while you roll, you eat, don't drive. If you don't know how to drive, don't drive. If you've been psychedelicized, don't drive. If you're kissing on your boo. Kissing on you. Don't drive. If you've been drinking at a bar. Don't drive. If there's guns in the car. Don't drive. Don't groom, don't shave, don't tweeze, don't nurse, don't voice these things in your ears or rummage through your purse. Ugh. Don't do that. Huh. If you want something you're not supposed to do, you can go ahead and tug on my food man chew. Go ahead, I don't care. Watch me tear. If you feel like a nap, don't drive. If there's a pooch on your lap, oh, it's dangerous and creepy. If you're feeling really wired, if your license is expired, don't you drive around the town. Well, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Thanks for uh, riding along on our three-hour tour. I want to say thanks to all the guests on the show today. Peter Desberg and Jeffrey Davis from Hollywood talking about their book, Pitch Like Hollywood, What You Can Learn from the High Stakes Film Industry, which comes out uh, this month, February 2022. And uh, also to state representative and candidate for state senate Democrat John Cherry. And uh, we started out this morning talking with um, Aaron Solomon, the chief legal analyst for Esquire Digital. Pretty fascinating show today, and it went flying by as they often do. But it's uh, Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. And uh, I hope you have a great weekend. I'll see you back here Monday morning. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show. 
and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.